Statistically, Josh Shipp should be dead, in jail, or homeless. But his success as a preeminent author, speaker, and global youth empowerment expert is living proof of the power of one caring adult. A former at-risk foster kid turned youth advocate, Josh is renowned for the documentary TV series on A&E that followed his groundbreaking work with youth and families. He's written two national bestsellers to date, The Grown-Up's Guide to Teenage Humans, winner of the Nautilus Gold Award for Parenting and Family, and The Teen's Guide to World Domination. Over the years, Josh has keynoted events for countless groups of parents, educators, social workers, with audiences as large as 55,000, and to date has spoken live in front of more than 2 million people. Viral clips of his presentations have been viewed an estimated 50 million times through platforms such as Upworthy, Goalcast, and BuzzFeed. To serve the ultimate goal of helping as many kids as possible, Josh trains other speakers through Youth Speaker University, helping them use their own stories to make an impact. His social-emotional learning curriculum, Year of Awesomeness, is in use in hundreds of classrooms all around the world, while his free newsletter offers practical strategies to 200,000-plus parents, educators, and social workers. All right, so I've already got your bio recorded, so yep. I'm just going to say welcome to My Bonus Money, Josh. Thanks for being here. What a pleasure. Here we are. Yeah, thank you. So what was most valuable for you from this conversation? I enjoyed all the different topics that we went down. And I think folks that are interested in becoming a speaker are going to find some frank, candid advice that's both slightly depressing and quite encouraging. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that assessment. And I would also say that I liked when you coached me up a little bit on what I'm doing wrong and how I can get better. So I'm going to start applying some of those principles and see what I can do. People should definitely look forward to hearing that stuff. That's always what you want to do as a podcast guest is come on someone's podcast and then insult them in what they're doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a winning strategy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The good news is I was open to it and looking for it. So I appreciate That's it. That's right. That's yeah. right. You welcomed it. Okay, we're going to get to the interview here with Josh in just a second. Thanks so much for listening to My Bonus Money. So Josh, somebody starting speaking might be a little bit overwhelming. And the thing is, I think most teachers and educators feel like speaking is something they could do. What's your stance on the difference between speaking and teaching? To me, they are they are very similar. If something can work in a small group, that's going to extrapolate out to working in a larger group. I think I see sometimes folks get stuck on the idea of taking something that they're naturally teaching or content that folks are gravitating towards for them, and then extrapolating that out into a speech because they start picturing like an audience of 500, an audience of 1,000. They start picturing some context. They've been sitting in the audience as an educator, as a teacher, and listen to someone give a presentation. But really, if something works with a group of 30, it's going to work with a group of 300. You and I have both had experiences where we're working with those smaller groups, and you tell a joke or you tell a story, you tell something you feel like is a poignant idea. And frankly, the groups, to me as a speaker, the groups of 30 are more challenging because you're going to quickly know whether or not it works because you don't have the luxury of a larger size group to cover up 
the almost the percentile gap in your material. I want to get into that percentile gap in a minute because I think there's something really important. I think we all believe that we could be a speaker and every teacher goes to every professional development or situation like that saying, I could do better than this person. And <laughs> yes. that's just a natural thing. So what is it that, let's talk about that percentile. What makes someone great instead of just a good? This idea of the percentile I've, has always been in the back of my mind. This is literally the first time I've said it out loud. So, you know, with a joke or a funny story, that is often the easiest thing to grade on the percentile simply because it's audible. If you tell a joke, you tell a story, it's supposed to be funny. It's clear based on whether or not you get an audible response, whether or not it's being perceived as funny. To me as a speaker, I go, okay, if I can get a fourth of the room to laugh, this has potential. It just needs to be tweaked. Mm -hmm. And to me, if it's under 25%, it's either, it's not the right context. It's not the right tone. It's like something with it is off. I should maybe scrap it and do something different. If I get around the 25 percentile, I go, okay, this has potential. Now it's all about honing, fine-tuning, refining. If for me, I'd say probably my best jokes or one-liners or asides maybe hit 70%. Those are like a home run for me, things that I just know time and time again really work. I wonder, having not been a day-to-day -day educator myself, I look at what educators do and I go, man, the, the I'll speak to the thing I'm impressed by and then the thing I think educators might with. The thing I'm impressed by is the content turnover. Every day you are talking to the same group about something new or you're building on something new. So that content turnover to me is mind-blowing. Because as a speaker, I, I'm, it's, you're almost like a singer-songwriter. It's like about every two or three years, I need to write a new album. That album needs to be as great as I can get it. And then I'm going to tour that album for two or three years until I meet the apex of me getting sick of it and my audience is getting sick of it. And then I got to write a new album. Whereas, again, teachers, day to day. But the thing I wonder if sometimes might be the difference between teaching and speaking to your initial question is as a teacher, you would need to take something that works pretty good and then just obsess about it to the point where then it's, this is good enough now to be a radio single. Like I can go tour this material. That's what it is. And for me, even my best ideas that I'm excited about I would say for the first time they come out of my mouth, there may be a 6.2 out of 10. And that's like my best ideas. So I've got a concept right now about teenagers, cell phones, appropriate cell phone usage, how to think about that. I have what I believe is a killer analogy on it, but it's still at a 6.2, a 6.5. And so I think the difference then between teaching and speaking is you have to then obsess about every word every detail, every moment, every transition, every movement in it. That's the difference. And some people that sounds exciting and thrilling. And some people that sounds like, oh, I can't imagine doing that. Yeah. So that's a really interesting thing that I've heard from many other speakers that if your bag is to be speaking, then that's the work is obsessing about each and every word and then repeating it 
a million times and being yes. for that. Uh, yeah. Is that, that how you'd say that's if that's your bag, that's what you'd have to do? Yeah, yes. And it's tricky because in the beginning, you really want people to have you speak, mm-hmm. but the material or sort of the assumed expertise isn't quite there yet. Let's just focus on the material. The material isn't quite there yet, but you really want to speak. Then you obsess, as you and I have talked about, and the material gets quite good. Then you find yourself in this sweet spot where you have about a 12-month window where the, both the material is really good. You're not burnt out on it. You're, you yourself are personally fascinated by it. You love telling the stories. And because it's been fine-tuned and road-tested enough, it hits a home run. So therefore, when you're pricing yourself or when someone's considering you, they know that you're going to be a sure thing. This is my big philosophical idea on you know, principals, assistant principals, superintendents, hiring educational speakers. They're not risking their money. Susan at Lodi School District, that is not her money. She's not writing a check out of her personal account. She's risking her reputation. And so that's why beyond the snobby, latte-obsessed, like coffee snob aspect of making your speech really good, that's the business side of it, is you're asking a superintendent, an assistant superintendent, a principal to risk their reputation to put you in front of their 500 students, 500 staff members, or whatever. So then you have this 12-month period where you love the material is really good, and the audience is responding to the material. But then you also reach a point where the story is phenomenal, but you've told it so many times that then the challenge in your mind becomes, this is something I did really poorly as a young speaker, Jethro. Good. Let's hear you, those stories. I, I did one of two very immature things often. In I got started speaking in 19. That's all. It's, we can get into the details of that later. But... When I was young and immature in my 20s, I would do two, two immature things. Number one, I would, I would give to the audience I was in front of based on how much they gave back to me compared to a previous audience I had in my mind. So for some reason, three weeks ago, I spoke at this thing in Iowa, and for whatever reason, like, I was on, they were on, the venue was perfect, like everyone's in a good mood. And and it's just like, man, they were like interrupting me with applause. And then if this group didn't do that, my ego, my, and it's, and then I would start punishing the audience by holding back. Mm -hmm. I would go, oh, I see. So you're, okay, you're only going to give me a seven out of 10. I'm only going to give you a seven out of 10. So that was immature thing. Number one, I did. Immature number, thing number two that I did is because I was telling the same story and over and over. I would, and I was tired of telling it. I did not have the maturity to go, speaking is not about me, speaking is about them. This is the first time they've ever heard it. This is their first time. Therefore, am I going to make this about me? And oh, I got to tell the same story again. Or am I going to realize that speaking is an honor and Part of the of this honor is, yeah, telling some stories that maybe you've had to tell several times. Yeah, it's funny you bring that piece up because I was listening to a speaker one time and the speaker believed that everybody had heard the story that she was telling already. Mm-hmm. And so her, she like 
cut out the good parts. I haven't heard it. And she cut out the good parts and didn't include them because she was trying to get through something that she was clearly sick of. And I thought, man, that is just really sad. So I have a story that I tell that I only tell people in person. And it's about how my father-in-law is actually my stepdad. And it's a great story, but I only tell it in person because if I tell it like over video or on a podcast or something like that, it just doesn't ever, it doesn't ever hit right. Mm. But I've told this story hundreds of times. And every time I tell it, I bring in the important details and I get really into it. And, and I know that it's somebody's first time hearing it. And I know they're on their edge of their, the edge of their seat, listening to what I have to say. And I relish that opportunity. And I, the reason I'm bringing this particular piece up is that's how I need to think about this when I'm speaking and telling a story, which is what you're saying. And I don't ever get sick of telling that story. And one time I made the comment without being prepared to tell the story and Mm -hmm. my delivery was so much worse and people wanted to know the, what was going on. And I couldn't tell it in the way that I wanted to, because it wasn't, it wouldn't have been appropriate. And I just felt like I let those people down by being careless in how I introduced the idea because I couldn't really give them what they needed to have a great experience. Yeah, that's a maturity you've developed into as a speaker is sometimes you have to have healthy boundaries. A lot of times we think of boundaries as something that we do for ourselves, but also boundaries are, these are the handful of reasonable things I need to put myself in a situation where I can best serve the audience. You know, what we're talking about, I don't want to assume by your name Jethro, but I grew up in Oklahoma and I'm a fan of country music. And Don't assume. That's uh, another great story. All right, all right. I, I said I'm not assuming, but here we go. Here we go, all the same. I went to see George Strait, uh, big country music star, top tier of like best-selling albums, most, num- most number one hits, all of this. So I've gone to many big stadium concerts in my life. Not many is an overstatement, probably eight to 10. And often with the big stadium acts, when they get to that song that's like the song they're known for, they sing a few words and then they just let the crowd take over. Uh-huh. What so impressed me about George Strait is he sang every word of every hit song, even though he's been doing it now for 40 some odd years, he, there must be a part of him that's sick of those songs, sick of singing these same songs. But that, that moment for me was really prescient in like that kind of like country music, blue collar work ethic. Josh, don't get snobby about what you do. Don't elevate what you do. Like this show up, give your best, sing every word of the song, every word of that story, because for the folks in the audience, it could be their first time experiencing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. And I think something that as you get experience and do it more, that makes a lot more sense. A lot of people who are listening to this aren't at that point. They don't even know how to start doing it. And so you have Youth Speaker University that you, as a company that you run a, a speaker's bureau. Can you tell us what that means to be part of a speaker's bureau and if that's a good idea for someone to start doing to look for that or not? What are your, tell us about the speaker's bureau first and then, and then go from there. 
Sure. So I have two things. You Speaker University is a course that we have, and that's designed to help to get speakers from earning $0 a year up to $100,000 a year in speaking in the education market. So to either students, uh, educators, school staff, that sort of thing. Then I have top you speakers. That's the Speakers Bureau. And typically we work with established speakers, so speakers who are doing about 100 grand a year, but they don't want to manage the business side of it. They want to be they want to be the talent, not manage the business side of it. So as to getting started, the first asset that you need to create is you need to eventually create a demo video, but we'll get to that in a moment. That booking your first 3 gigs is going to be harder than booking your next 100. Yeah. Those first few yeses are going to be so excruciating because of what I alluded to earlier, which is a lot of these opportunities for someone to speak. This is the one or two big group meetings a year. These folks are risking their reputation. And it's not that they might not like you or trust you or think your topic idea is interesting. They just go, hey... If if my grandma is in need of a surgery, I'm going to go with the surgeon who's got 10,000 hours of surgery under her belt, not you who is an aspiring surgeon, even though I like you and you seem you seem like a great lady or whatever. So that is why the first three will be so much more challenging than the next 100. So how do we overcome that? Um, you know, a step is to... Think clearly about what it is you're going to talk about and put together just a one-page PDF. One-page PDF, your name, sort of an overall tagline, something like helping educators increase student achievement through confidence strategies or or whatever. Uh, What the topic is you would speak about, a one-paragraph teaser of that topic, and then some specific learning outcomes. Now, with that one-page PDF, you now have a form of kind of prepackaged persuasion that you can approach people with instead of just a loose theory via a conversation or an email. Often your first speaking gigs, you need to tap into your relational network. So someone who knows you or loosely knows you, hey, I'm not looking to be the keynote. I'm not looking to speak on the main stage, but I know that we have this district training coming up, or I know that we have this going on. Take a look at this PDF. Do you think I could present this as a workshop to 20 educators, 30 educators, to 20 students, 30 students? That's, like I said, I got started at 19 years old doing this. And that was the first three years of my, quote, career as a speaker was being the workshop presenter, being very similarly, sitting in the audience, watching the keynote, sometimes being blown away and going, whoa, she's amazing. I, there is no way I'm ready to do that. There is no way I'm ready to be on that stage. Or sometimes sitting in the audience going, are you serious? Like that? That, yeah. Like, you could beat that today, today. So both like aspirational and frustrating experiences, but doing those small group breakouts, doing those workshops, doing the, the those sessions where they're smaller, 
because then that is an easier yes for that decision maker. They are, are they still risking their reputation? Yes, slightly. But if it doesn't go well with the speaker in front of the big group of 2,000 versus it doesn't go well with the speaker in, in front of the group of 30, that one's okay. Yeah, no big deal. We can move on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's something that I think a lot of people, like their conferences, technology conferences, education conferences all over the place that uh, educators could go present a session at. And that's a perfectly fine way to get started, get some practice, and then also get some footage for a speaker reel. So talk about the speaker reel aspect a little bit. Yeah, eventually once you feel like your kind of main topic that you're speaking on is solid, then yes, you want to you want to get some footage of that. You want to film that. Okay, hold on a sec. So once you feel like that's solid, so that's not record your first three presentations. That's sure record your first three presentations, but only for you, only for your ability to watch it back and look to where you can improve. Now, again, if you're doing smaller group sessions, if you're doing breakouts, if, if you're still in a place where you're doing it for free, I would say, can you have a speaker reel or a demo video that's six out of 10, that's a seven out of 10? Yeah, you probably could. If the topic is unique and they're like, oh yeah, we really need someone to do a breakout on that topic. You could probably get away with that. But Personally, like if I was starting over, I would have a one sheet. I would only speak locally until I felt like my one speech, like start with one speech, get that amazing, like one amazing radio hit. It is way easier to find a new client to give that same speech to than to write an entirely new speech. The level of difficulty, the level of difficulty to me, one, of a, one out of 100 to write a great new speech is a 92 out of 100. Level of difficulty to find a new client for that same speech is a level 27 out of 100. Mm -hmm. okay, so not nothing, but start with one speech. So if, again, if I was starting over, I would have my one sheet, PDF. I would start locally. I would start free. Anything within a two-hour driving radius of me, I would be speaking at. That would mean schools. That would mean conferences, events, workshops, Rotary Club meetings. Uh, it, I would get on. I, I would go live on Facebook. I would go live on Instagram. I would workshop the material that way. I would would take questions after I did a little spiel for fifteen minutes to identify the holes in my material. What questions are people repeatedly asking that I obviously need to be folding into this material so they're not asking it. And then once I felt like that talk, that single talk is an eight out of 10. And you got to be honest about that number. Yeah, no kidding. An eight out of 10. Then I would film it. Then I would film it. Because otherwise you're, if you feel a really great one sheet can make you look like a seven out of 10. But if you're currently a five out of 10 speaker, you're probably better off not showing that video to anyone. Yeah. Better off letting that PDF, which could be presented as a seven out of 10. You got a good educational background. You've been working in a school district for 15 years. You got a niche topic. You have a creative hook on it. It's clear that it's going to be both tactical and practical, but also not boring as hell. It's cool. 
this is great. Now that's probably going to read like a seven out of 10, whereas your video might not be there yet. Yeah, that that's a good point. So in my own personal experience, the place that I have struggled is doing new content with every speaking gig. So that makes it really challenging because then you're working to get the gig and you're working on new content every single time. And Oh, that's uh, your pit that's your pitch to your client is you your pitch is I don't give the same speech twice. Is that what you're saying? No, that's just how it's happened. That when uh, I've gone someplace and if they've if they have me back, then they want something different, which has happened. So that's a good thing is that I'm getting callbacks. The challenging part is that I'm having to create all new material and I'm not repurposing that old stuff in a new environment. And so for me personally, that's where I've struggled with this whole speaking thing is not having that that clear one sheet of this is what I talk about. I have mm -hmm. I have a page on my website that has all the things I've ever talked about. And and I think that's shooting me in the foot in that regard. Okay. All right. This is very interesting to me. Now I'm going to start to interview you for a moment. Okay. That sounds good. Okay. Brutally honest Olympic scoring. So include decimal points. How would you grade yourself today as a speaker? Zero to 10. Um, with decimal points. I would say that I am... I'm solidly in the middle, like five. Oh. I, I think that I give good stuff and I, yes. so I have a different approach also that, so I think there are three categories inspired by Eric Francis. Just want to give him a shout out. Level one, not level one, level A, level first example is you have a speaker who takes people to church and they get people inspired and they're like, hallelujah, they're filling the spirit. And the drawback to that is that there's not a lot of follow through or follow up on that. Mm -hmm. There's no action being taken. Example B is that you take people to school where you do a lot of teaching and they learn a ton in that thing. But the challenge is that they're not really inspired and they're not like fired up about doing whatever you're talking about. And then level three is you take people to work. And that one is you get in there and you do stuff and there's people get things done and they feel very powerful because of the sense of accomplishment. But the inspiration from the speaker isn't really there. And mm -hmm. the the learning happens, but it's more internal and less external coming from the speaker. So what I try to do, especially in full day workshops, is hit every single one of those Absolutely. As I'm doing things, you want to have, in my opinion, you want to have some of each of them because if it's all fluff, people walk away and they, it was pointless. If it's all work, then people walk away and they're just tired. Yeah. Yes. You know, yeah. It's all learning. Then people walk away without a plan to put things into practice. So Interesting. Yeah. I, I very much agree with those. So if you grade yourself right now, 5.0 out of 10, do you think if you we're in a situation where you were retelling stories. If each speech was 70 to 80% the same, but then contextualized 20 or 30%, that would probably get you immediately in the eights. Yes, I think so. And to me, my challenge has been that I just haven't been able to get someone else to say yes to the same speech. Mm. And to be honest, I have not tried as hard as I probably should have just being blunt about that. I know that Interesting. I wait for opportunities to come to me rather than going out. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me, it, it, and interrupt me if I'm starting to derail the conversation, but it makes me think if this is a situation where you, instead of letting them ask you, you propose, hey, this is typically what I do. It's 70% uh, tried and true material that will make your folks 
And then you walk them through those three categories. It'll make them laugh. It'll make them cry. It'll make them feel inspired. They'll be taking notes. And then 30%, when you and I get on the phone six weeks before your event, I'm going to contextualize that to your district, your people's challenges. It is now someone who works behind the scenes with speakers. It makes me wonder, is this just we need to make a more strategic overture? And like, maybe they're already sold on you as a speaker, but you're not doing a good job of selling them on what would be the best way to utilize you. Yes, I think that is 100% it. And that is that is definitely my weak spot. What I do in those situations is I say, what is it that you need? And then I basically create something from scratch. And that, I know that's not a smart or good way to do it, but that those are the situations that I've gotten myself. Interesting. It is very fascinating to me because before we start recording, we're talking about Zapier. You I and know. I were nerding out about Zapier <laughs> and we were saying like, yes, it's really smart to not to not manually do repetitive tasks when things can be done more wisely and more in an automated feature. And I go, you do that with your speaking. It is actually a little bit embarrassing, honestly, to admit that. And well, okay. the good thing about this podcast is that I'm an open book. And while it is embarrassing to say that, that is the reality. And I... When I talk to other people about it, I give them the same advice that you're giving me. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. I just don't, I don't do a good job myself. So for sure. I assure you there, there are areas of my own business and life where I too am a hypocrite to the advice I would give to someone else. So no worries. I love those levels. I, I think about it when I'm, so the way I work new material is, so I would say I give 85% the same talk every time. I'm very clear about that. I'm not baiting and switching. I'm not promising customization. I'm not promising a new topic. I'm like, these are the two or three topics I hit a home run on. And if you want those two or three, like I will hit a home run for you. If you don't, that's cool. I'm probably not the person for you. So probably 85% tried and true. And then 15% contextualization, you know, making sure that it's contextualized to their people. So for example, I spoke at the Arizona School Bus Driver Association. So with that, it's like it's 85% is still going to be my message. But then it's, okay, I need to dig into the well and identify a, a poignant moment that I had with a bus driver growing up as a kid and tell that story and how that small gesture that he made that at the time he probably didn't even think I would now years later remember. So that's how I think about it. And for me, new material, I always try to put in the middle of a speech around the stuff I know works really well. Yeah. So in the event, it's it's just okay. I go, no big deal. The other stuff is going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a smart way to do it. I have a presentation coming up where I am repurposing some stuff and because it fits in, but a lot of the material is brand new for me to deliver. And so some of that feels like it is, it's not going to be as good because it's my first time doing it. And I know that and my practice myself is not going to equal how I deliver it there in the moment. Yes. I know that's going to be a challenge, but what I am trying to do is take this opportunity and try to parlay it into other opportunities, doing the same thing with different groups in different places. And hopefully that will, that will work out. So I want to go back a little bit to one of the questions of, it sounds like when I asked, like, how do we get started? It sounds like a lot of free and a lot of stuff that doesn't make you any money 
And is that just the nature of the beast? I'm sure that there are people who can start speaking and making good money immediately, but that doesn't seem like that is the typical scenario. Anyone who could start speaking and make good money immediately. And so by good money within the education niche, I would define as anything over 3000 bucks. Out of the gate, you need to have some sort of shiny title. Uh attached to you. So you need to have one Idaho teacher of the year. You need to have been featured in a documentary. You need to have written a book that did well. You need to have put out a video about the audiences that would want to hire you. And that went viral. Like You would need to have something big that hits, not where you suddenly become a household name, but a TEDx talk, but amongst that niche of people that you would want to get paid to speak to, they are gravitating to, towards you, your story, or your concept. Those are the only folks, save for former presidents, household names, celebrities, that out of the gate can speak and start commanding a handsome fee. Yeah. So you need to have something that ups your reputation score, basically, right? Yeah, because Some- yeah, all those things we talked about, that's, that all goes back to someone's risking their reputation. So all they want to know is in advance, what am I getting with this lady? What am I getting with this guy? That in celebrity or in a documentary or a book, it's just a it's just another path to knowing what I'm getting, what I'm what I think I'm getting with this person and what they would be like in front of my people. Yeah. So what are some ways besides those things of getting public notoriety for things? What are some things that people can do in the conversations, the emails, the messages back and forth leading up to events that they could do to build that reputation based on who they are, things they do, things that most people who are trying to speak don't think about or don't pay attention to and set somebody apart as, oh, this person's really great. We should have, we should give them a bigger role or a better room, even those kinds of things. Like I've given workshops in like the third floor when everything is on the second floor and there's Mm -hmm. two on the third floor and nobody knows where they are or how to get there. Yeah. I've been in those rooms and... and so how do we get people to the second floor? That's right. Yeah. yeah so again, I'm going to be a stickler about this. With At the end of the day, because this is such a reputational risking thing, hierarchy is as follows. The number one most ideal, I've seen you in person. And so it's like, I get it. I get what you do. I love it. Come do that with our group. That That's number one most ideal. Now, that's also, when you're first starting, the least likely thing you're going to have working for you. Therefore, that flywheel of word of mouth, for the most part, you ain't going to have. But again, that's at the peak of the hierarchy. Number two would be a video. A video that is 80 to 90% as good as me sitting in one of your audiences. Just a five to seven minute, this is the trailer to your movie. This is, even in that five to seven minutes, I need to see those three movements that you talked about earlier. The, I need to see the fire him up, take him to church. I need to see him taking notes and practical and tactical. And I need to see, oh, you're going to implement this and do some work. So that would be number two on the hierarchy. You know, and then really everything else is number three. And that includes the one sheet. So with that in mind, which I just, in our bureau, we're managing now over a thousand events a year and 90% of our events come from hierarchy one or two. Mm -hmm. It's either, hey, I saw them or someone I super duper trust saw them 
or, hey, we saw a video of them. That's totally what we're looking to address with our students. So with that kind of depressing yet honest assessment in place, there are some creative things you can do to, if you're like brand new, get your one sheet looked at even more. Get like a second glance at, maybe we should take a small risk on this person. And maybe we should put them on the second floor, not the third floor. A quality, not quantity in your outreach. So a temptation could be, and a lot of online gurus and such might teach you, buy a list of 10,000 schools or 10,000 conferences and just send them a formatted message and that's it. Versus in the beginning, I would say you're way better emailing 20 people a week every single with deep contextualization. Deep contextualization could mean looking at Spending deep contextualization really means like five minutes on their website. Yeah. Five minutes looking at their school, what's going on, you know, what their theme of 2023, 2024 is. And if honest, don't BS them, don't make things up. But if your message or what you would teach about naturally parlays with that, then say so. That's a great way to say, I'm not just another like LinkedIn spammer of, dear ma'am, sir, I would like to schedule a strategy call with you, which is really just mean I'm going to sell you. And same thing with conferences. You know, hey, I saw last year y'all had this workshop. I have a message that, that kind of builds on where that workshop left off. It seemed like that workshop was really about the theory of it. I'm going to get into the tactics of it. So again, that's that can cost you five minutes. Following up with one-to-one -one videos. Most speakers won't do that. And most advanced speakers aren't, aren't, aren't playing that game because they don't need to. Yeah. So therefore, for you as a newbie, it's wise for you to do that now. It won't be wise 10 years from now, mm -hmm. but it's wise for you to do it now. And it's also a less crowded market. I try to think about what inboxes are the least crowded. That would be physical mail. Mail is going to be, if you're thinking of a man, if I could just get on this assistant principal's radar, their school, their values, what I teach, it's close by, man, they would, if I could just do it just with their staff, they would love it. Her physical mailbox is going to be way less crowded than her voicemails and then her email inbox. It's true. So think you've got a one sheet. Good news. You don't got a, you don't got a demo video yet. So you got a one sheet, like print it out, thoughtful card, $5 Starbucks gift card, that kind of thing. Those sort of quality over quantity gestures are going to at least get you a second look. Now, still, what matters most, now, then here's my other rant. What matters most still is how good are you? It's, again, I'm risking my reputation. So I want you to be a nice guy, but really I need you to be incredible as a teacher. Now, if I get both, then it's like, I'm going to work with you forever. I'm going to work with you forever. But if someone had to choose someone who's a bit of a prick versus someone who's going to be phenomenal, unfortunately, I'm not saying it's right. They're probably going to go with the person that's phenomenal. Back to the surgeon thing. It's, it's nice if they're a nice person, but really there's a specific singular task that you're wanting them to do. And so it's, you can't friend your way into most speaking gigs. Yeah. You can't buddy your way into most speaking gigs. The most ideal situation you can find yourself in is being an extraordinarily competent speaker on a couple topics who just so happens to be easy to work with. Mm -hmm. That is the dream scenario.
Yeah, that's great. This has been an awesome conversation. I appreciate your time and all your insight. I feel like we just barely scratched the surface and maybe need to come back and do another one in a few months or weeks or whatever, because there is a lot that we, a lot of rabbit holes we could have gone down that would probably be beneficial. Just want to make sure people know if you want to learn more from Josh, this, especially if you're beginning, then it's youthspeakeru.com. So go and check that out. Youthspeakeru, just the letter U.com as in university. And uh, Josh, thanks so much for being part of my bonus money. I appreciate it. My pleasure, sir. Thank you.